Hi, welcome to episode 15 of Murder's a Drag with moi, Aura Van Dank. Um, I finally got that new camera, new microphone. We have a full new setup. Hopefully this video is going to come out as good as I think it's going to come out because I saved up for a long time for this camera and I'm really excited to finally be using it and finally be making a video with it. Whoop. Okay, so... Before I get into this week's video, I just wanted to go ahead and give my sources for last week. I need to get better at remembering to do that before my videos. Um, last week I used The Guardian, The Atlantic, The New York Times, and a website called dnainfo.com because Mark was a hard dude to track down. Um, and this week I used problematic articles from People, Crime Watch, True Crime Daily, and KLTV. Um, every single article that I used misgendered the murder victim at least once, but also correctly gendered the victim in the same article, showing me that they knew their gender, but didn't care enough to edit and go back through, or purposely did it? It's just, either way, not acceptable. Not, I mean, y'all know how I feel about it. I'll just move along to the episode. I've been trying different methods of taking these eyebrows off because they're so, um, stubborn. Uh, so this week it's handy dandy Charmin and Dawn dish soap and water. Ty Lee Underwood was born October 24th in Angelina County, Texas. It's very rural, very, um, southern, very Bible belty. Um, it's really out there in the sticks. Ty grew up in a tiny city named Lufkin. Corey McCoy, the reporter that wrote for that um, crime watch episode and article, he described it as um, the buckle of the Bible Belt. So you gotta imagine the real center of that conservative, very Christian, not safe area for LGBT people to be living in. He also said that the um, community there, the LGBT community there, was generally quiet and um, withdrawn because they didn't feel safe, because it was such a hostile area for them to grow up in and to live in. So it's really no surprise that at 24 years old, Ty decides she's going to get the heck out of there and move on up to the closest big city to her. She went to Tyler City, or no, it's just Tyler, Texas the city of Tyler, Texas. There we go. According to some of the friends that Ty made in Tyler, Texas, she really took a 180 with her personality when she moved there. She went from this really, really withdrawn um, person to somebody who was outgoing and ready to experience life to the fullest, living it finally as her genuine self, not scared of the, everybody around her, not scared of who's going to accept her and who's not to. Her friends described her as having no fear, especially to the fact of... Her friends described her as having no fear, especially no fear of people not accepting her for who she was. Less than three months after moving into this new city and making some friends and getting settled into a social life, moving in with her best friend, she meets a guy named Carlton Champion Jr., who is a freshman at Texas College in this city and is a star football player at the college. Carlton had somewhat of a troubled youth. He got into a lot of trouble 
Um, but towards the end of high school, because of his football talent, everybody finally helped him kind of get his shit together and get a scholarship to get accepted into Texas College and become a football player there. And that's really the only reason that his life turned around. Um, which is unfortunate because they... You should be willing to help any child regardless of um, whether or not you deem that they have your version of potential. But don't have too much pity because Carlton is a full-on dick. And I personally lived with a college ball football player um, my freshman year of college and they're held to this strange not strange, it makes perfect sense held to this um, higher standard and put on this pedestal where they can do very little wrong and pretty much get away with any kind of shit they want to get away with in college and that mentality was instilled into Carlton when he was still in high school no shade to my ex-roommate, but you know it's true, Jimmy. Being the star football player that he was in such a small community, Carlton was put quickly kind of put onto this celebrity status, and he had all eyes on him while he was playing, while he was in school, at school, in class, and just around town. So he's just egotistical, always kind of arrogant, basically like every guy I've ever dated. Ty met... Carlton sometime around January while she was living with her roommate Kenya back in 2015. Ty's best friend Kenya remembers um, Carlton staying the night two or three times while she was living in that apartment with her, which kind of seems to me like it was a relationship. They were obviously together. It's also pretty clear from um, the text history that Carlton had Ty under the impression that they had something of an exclusive relationship. Ty didn't trust that because, like all of us, she probably's heard that a million times before. So clearly, this is where they start to develop those problems. But Ty never left because Carlton was always very insistent on keeping their relationship and very clear to her that he did not want her to break up with him and he did not want to break up with her. So it's January 25th, around 8.30 p.m., and Ty and Carlton have just made some plans to see each other later that night. So they kind of make their plans and they're, you know, see you later, talk to you later, whatever, whatever. Midnight rolls around, Ty has yet to hear from Carlton, so once again, she's been stood up. And from the messages that she sends him, it's pretty clear this isn't the first time this has happened, and very clear that she is sick of it and she's done being treated this way, and she tells him that it's over, she doesn't want to see him anymore. Carlton texted back defending himself, saying that he fell asleep, he didn't see her messages, and he said, quote, that's how it is now, question mark, I'll make it up to you. Our girl Ty responds with some receipts and says, ah, 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 you were not asleep. You read my message on Kick at 11 p.m. And we all remember Kick. It says R, check mark, check mark, when it's read. And it'll say D or S for delivered or sent. So she knew she had the receipts and she wasn't having the lies anymore. She was over it. Um, and she told him, I'm coming up there. I'm coming to the school. I'm on my way. We're going to talk about this. It's over. I, it's done. I'm not the kind of girl that's going to break up with you over text. It's over. Let's make it be over. Carlton now very quickly texted back all caps, no you're not, exclamation point, And didn't receive a text back until 
the message that eventually ends him up in police custody is sent from Ty's phone to Carlton's phone that says, I'm here. So sometime between 1.26 a.m. when the I'm here text was delivered and 2.36 a.m. Ty met Carlton on 25th Street, which is right near Texas College. Carlton gets into Ty's car and they start talking. And at some point he pulls out a gun and begins firing shots at Ty from right next to her in the passenger seat of her car. So she's been shot four times. Her lungs are punctured, she's bleeding, and she begins to drive to try to flee from her attacker. She drives her car up onto a curb in an attempt to escape, all the while Carlton is still firing shots at the outside of the car. She gets the back wheels stuck in some mud, puts the car in reverse, but bleeds out before she's able to escape. Carlton immediately fled the scene, and a neighbor saw the car and said her grandkids heard the shots, so she called the police. When they arrive, police initially suspect that it was a car accident, but don't understand why there's so much blood inside the vehicle when the vehicle didn't even hit the telephone pole that it had come close to. When they got closer, they realized that the radio wasn't working, but they heard music, and they saw Ty's phone was plugged into her radio to be playing music, and when they looked up to followed the cord and looked up to the radio, they saw the gunshot and then realized that this wasn't a car accident or an accident at all for that matter. And the same phone that helped police realize what happened at the scene is the same key piece of evidence that led them to the killer. Apple is really weird about the security of their phone and giving away the passcodes under any circumstances. Um, so the police really had to guess and check and Ty's phone was set up to where if there were enough incorrect attempts, it would delete all data. So they did sort of a really dramatic Hail Mary move and guessed her birthday, and it actually worked. This is when police contact Kenya, her roommate, and give her the terrible news. Kenya says that she remembers the police calling her and telling her, we found your best friend dead in her car this morning, and then making her way as fast as she could down to the station in this sort of state of denial and just not really knowing what she was doing, that real telltale sign of the first stage of grief. And I watched the video of when she finally met with the detective and the first thing that she asked was, is my friend really dead? And that, that broke my heart. She also told the investigators that the only reason that Ty would have left their apartment that evening would have been to go see her boyfriend. And then they asked who her boyfriend was, Kenya had named Carlton. With the information that Kenya had given the police and the information that they found within Ty's phone, they had enough to bring Carlton into the station for questioning. From the very beginning of his encounters with detectives, Carlton proved himself to be an arrogant prick to those around him. He also entirely denied knowing Ty beyond just acquaintances. He said that they had only met one time. He also told police that he didn't know or wasn't aware that Ty was a transgendered woman. Since police at this point already had Ty's phone, they knew that Kick was the app that had most of the evidence. And when they asked to see Carlton's phone to go through his kick history, he said that he just so happened to have deleted that app that very morning. 
This is the point when detectives pulled out their receipts and had Ty's phone and began scrolling through their kick history together um, right in front of Carlton's face, showing him the messages that he sent to Ty. Even with this information in front of him, Carlton still denied that he knew Ty, still denied that he had any sort of relationship with Ty, other than that he had met her one time and that they were acquaintances. After this first interview, astonishingly, police go and find a random man that they found way back in the history of Ty's phone that they decide to grill for whatever reason. Maybe he had something on his record in the past. Maybe police just didn't want to try this football player because, like I said, it was a small community and he was a local celebrity. How could this football player do anything wrong? I mean, historically, when have football players done anything wrong? This man that they bring in, however, immediately requests that they give him a polygraph test. He actually even admits, he says that they never met in person, they only ever texted, and that Ty wasn't interested in him. Ty curved him. He admitted that and said, I'll take a polygraph. I didn't ever actually meet her. And once he took the polygraph, the detectives, dumbasses, had to clear him because he didn't do anything fucking wrong. So they bring Carlton back in, and this time they tell him that he's under arrest for the murder of Ty, and um, he acknowledges that he knows what he's there for and continues to not take the investigation seriously. The detectives questioning him pretty constantly reminded him about the gravity of the situation and that he was facing life in prison, um, and the only thing that he would reply with was, I'm hungry. Um, laughs, smug smiles, and then went on to list all of the restaurants that he wanted a burger from because he's a fucking asshole. And honestly, a sociopath, because it's inhuman to be able to do something like that to somebody and then sit there and talk about it, or not talk about it, like that. The investigators were obviously having a really tough time with Carlton, and they even brought in some of the most seasoned investigators to grill him and really interrogate him, excuse me, not investigators, interrogators, to really grill him and nobody could crack him. In fact, he never cracked. After finding it pretty much impossible to interrogate Carlton or extract any information out of him that way, um, they went back to the car, extracted some more DNA evidence, and confirmed that in the labs, and had enough to bring him to trial. Carlton was brought in front of a jury where he continued to be an arrogant piece of shit and smirked, made comments, joked, turned around, looked at Ty's family, made faces, just altogether the most inappropriate behavior that you could think of and that's really what's indicative of him being a fucking sociopath. All the while, Carlton knew the jury of people deciding the rest of his life were watching him hearing him make the comments, seeing just the callous, cold look on his face while they read out the crime, and they read out how Ty fought so hard for her life, and he was still just so willing to do anything it took to take that from her. Definitely another one of those cases where it didn't take very long for the jury to reach a verdict, and as soon as they read the verdict out that he was guilty in the charge of first-degree murder, his demeanor changed. Surprise, surprise. So this little shift in character really showed the court the murderer that killed Ty, rather than this facade that 
he was putting on this entire time trying to convince everybody that he wasn't scared, that he was innocent, that he didn't care about any of this, he wasn't worried about it. Now, he's upset. He hears that he's getting life in prison. He hears that he's getting life in prison for the murder of Ty Underwood and turns around to the family of the person that he killed and says, I'll be back on the street. Which, I don't think you will. Even back in 2016, Carlton claimed that he was sitting in prison with a positive attitude. He still wasn't worried. He knew that he was going to get out. He, he had this appeal in order. He was ready. He wasn't worried. He was going to get out of prison because he didn't do anything wrong. He has still yet to crack and admit that he murdered this woman. When it came time for his second day in court, for some reason, um, every judge everywhere in the whole world heard a resounding, absolutely the fuck not, and he was sent back to prison to rot there. And I have yet to see, hear, or read any smug comments from him about that. Before I close off this story, I want to touch on the problematic articles surrounding it. Every article from people, from the local news station, from Crime Watch especially, was insensitive at some point and misgendered Ty at least once. That's unacceptable, as I said. It needs to not happen, and there were incredibly unnecessary images of Ty after she was killed in her car. There were a repeat amount of incredibly unnecessary images of Ty's phone in her hand after she was killed. These are just things that don't need to be sensationalized and shouldn't be sensationalized. We shouldn't still have to be explaining to people that it's not okay and why it's not okay to sensationalize the murder of trans women. And I know that sounds a little bit hypocritical from me sitting here painting my face and telling these stories, but I do my best not to sensationalize them. I do my best to draw most of the focus away from me and to draw the focus onto the stories that I'm telling. And as you all know, my goal with this is just to use the platform on every social media that I can, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, to get these stories told and to grab your attention somehow and get you to sit down with me and listen and hear these stories. At the end of the Crime Watch segment, Ty's best friend gave a really, really beautiful quote that I think truly describes their friendship in a great way and describes Ty in a great way. She said, Sometimes the memories are so good I can feel it. It gives me chill bumps. I'll always have that friendship in my heart. I'll always walk with her in my heart. So as crazy as it sounds, she is still my friend. We're still rocking together in this world. And those were just such, I mean, mm. Got liner on, and I'm getting misty-eyed over here. You can feel it through those words. You really, really can. And I truly felt that vibe a lot while studying the relationship between Kenya and Ty. They had such a close friendship, and this friendship that we can all kind of either recognize in our own lives or have seen in other people's lives where they're just, they're sisters. They're so close and so connected that they can feel each other like that. So that was a little bit about the life of Ty Underwood and about how she got her justice. I like to do stories where people do end up getting their justice, but I also keep it realistic and I will obviously cover stories where people haven't gotten their justice yet. So I am gonna pop these lashes on, pop a wig on, put on that good old costume, and I'll be back in just a second. And 
And that's the finished look for this week. All of this hair is hard to fit in frame. I have been pretty consistently tweeting, Facebooking, everything, all of my videos when they've been released. I let you guys know when all of the new podcasts are released. All new episodes go up on Mondays around 10.30 a.m. depending on how quickly YouTube can process them. They're usually always up at 10 a.m. on Spotify and iTunes. Actually, Apple Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. I will see you next Monday. Mwah.